0: Right, everyone. Grab a seat, if you would. Go ahead and grab a seat. We're going we're gonna to open up the Word of God, see what the Lord has to say to us, sing some songs, and get some chili. Sound good? Cool. Let's do exactly that. Hey, if you got a Bible with you, go ahead and grab that right now. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 tonight. Uh, as we wrap up sort of this portion of our Christmas series again next week, uh, we're going to be in the middle school room. We're going to be doing some different things, but we're going to look at the Word of God tonight. Uh, and what I think What I think for many of you will be a familiar Christmas story, especially if you grew up in church. Uh, In Matthew chapter 2, we'll we'll track with the story of these magi. Uh, In popular kind of culture, they're called these wise men or or the three kings. We're gonna look at the story of these individuals tonight. Uh, And I hope, I pray that it is challenging, encouraging, uh, and most importantly, a blessing to you as you continue to follow Jesus this Christmas story. So again, uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it'll be on the screen, hopefully uh, in your Bibles or on your phones as well. here's how it goes. It says in verse 1, it says, "'After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, "'Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews?' We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief, uh, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, O Bethlehem, in land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose ahead them stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. This is the story, the story of what happens immediately after Jesus's birth. Jesus is born. It tells us in verse one. And then there's this journey that these magi go on. These journey that these individuals who are from a far distant country come on to meet and encounter and experience Jesus. And if I were to just kind of give you the outline, the spark notes version of what just happened in this story, it would be four things. Number one. The Magi seek Jesus. They seek Jesus. And it's not just that they think about Jesus or consider Jesus. It's that they actually go on a journey from where they live to where they believe Jesus is going to be. And for all my life, when I thought about this journey, I kind of thought about it like a journey. Like if you were to travel from Westlake Village to Newberry Park, okay? Like they kind of like got in a little caravan and went off like a couple miles. But that's not so. In fact, this journey could have been hundreds and hundreds of miles. It's possible that this journey took them months, maybe even 12 months or longer to make. This wasn't a quick, easy journey for them. This was a long, drawn-out journey of them seeking after a Jesus they didn't fully understand. And here's why I think this matters for us. I just wonder if anyone listening to the sound of my voice tonight in this room or online is on one of those long, drawn-out journeys that they didn't think would take that long, to understand what they think about God and who Jesus actually is. Maybe there's people in your life. You are solid in your faith and you know and love Jesus, but there's people in your life who are seeking Jesus, trying to understand Jesus. Maybe they're actually even kind of like deconstructing some beliefs from childhood where they just kind of grew up in some kind of little toxic culture and things just got real bad and ugly in their heart. And they're kind of trying to peel back those layers to understand who Jesus actually is. And can I remind you tonight that it took the Magi months maybe even over a year, to find this Jesus they were seeking after. And what I hope that stirs up in us is a amount of patience. Patience for you if you're on the journey to figure out what you actually believe about God. And patience for your friends and family as they're on their own spiritual journey as well. See, what happens at the beginning of the story is that the Magi are seeking after Jesus, and it's taking them months, maybe even a year. But then after they're seeking after Jesus, there is a moment where they find Jesus. They meet Jesus. And they don't know all the answers about Jesus. They don't even know everything about Jesus's life. They're just certain that this baby in front of them is not a normal baby, but in some way, in some strange way, is worthy of their worship, their adoration, their sacrifice, and their praise. And that's what I wanna encourage you toward as well. Again, if you're listening to me right now and you're not really sure what to do with faith, I want you to know that just like the Magi, you don't have to have all the answers about God in order to worship him. You don't have to know everything there is to know about the Bible, about Christian faith, about all the complicated questions that people of God have asked forever in order for you to come to a place where you recognize who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished in your life. I want the same for the people in your life, for you to have the kind of patience to allow people to be on this long journey that they're going through. And when they meet Jesus, not to force them to answer a bunch of questions that Jesus never asked them, but rather to allow people to meet Jesus just like the Magi did. Next, the Magi worship Jesus. They seek him out, they meet him for themselves, and then they worship him. It says they bowed down and they worship him. They humbled themselves before this baby. And in this strange paradox, somehow this baby was the God Almighty come into human flesh. And I want us to recognize that that's the, per- that's the process. We seek after Jesus, and then we meet Jesus, and then we begin to exalt and honor and glorify who Jesus is in our lives. I want you to know, even as we were just worshiping in this moment right before this sermon, this is what YA, this Thursday night thing we've been doing, has always been built on. Like the worship and the praise of God above, this exaltation of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I want you to know that whatever happens with YA, wherever we go next, whatever the Lord has for us next, the praise and the worship of the King of Kings is always gonna be at the heartbeat of what we do. That's who we are. It's what we're about. The Magi seek Jesus. They meet Jesus. They worship Jesus. But I wanna show you the final part of what the Magi do. The Magi give to Jesus. It says they give him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. This is the part of the story where people think there are three because there's one who's giving gold and one who's giving frankincense and one who's giving myrrh. That probably isn't the case. Probably the case for them. And there's there's hundreds of them who have come and they're giving him enormous amount of sacrificial gifts. But here's what I want to point out tonight. I think some of you in this room are in the process of seeking after Jesus. I think some of you are in the process of trying to understand what you actually believe about faith. Maybe you grew up in and around church. Maybe maybe you've been hurt by church and you're seeking after who Jesus actually is in your life. And if that's you tonight, I just want to celebrate that you're here. I want to rejoice that you're here, rejoice that you're leaning in. We've got space for you. We can hold space for your doubt and your questions. We're not intimidated by the questions or the doubts or the criticisms you have of the church. We probably have some of those ourselves. If you're tonight in this spot where you're saying, I'm seeking Jesus, can I just encourage you as we head into a new year to keep seeking after him, to keep leaning in, to be patient and gracious and merciful with yourself? Some of you are at the spot where you actually need to meet Jesus. And I want to call you even tonight where you are in your seat to call on the name of the Lord and say, Jesus, I want to give all I know of me to all I know of you. Rescue me from my sin, God. Make me a home in heaven forevermore. Make me your child. For some of you, I just wonder if this could be the first Christmas where you celebrate Christmas, not as a commercialized holiday, but as the worship of your God and your Savior. For some of you, this is where you're at tonight. For many of you in this room, you made the decision to follow Jesus. You met Jesus years ago, and you are a worshiper of Jesus. You love him. You sing to him. You worship him. You pray to him. You think about him. You consider him. And he really is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's in charge of your life. And praise God for you. May that tribe increase. May more of us be worshipers of Jesus Christ. But then there's another group of you. And tonight, I want to speak about this final level here. I want to speak about what it means to give to Jesus. I want to speak about what it means to be like these wise men who give gifts of frankincense and gold and myrrh. And I want to make a claim tonight. A claim I don't make in every room I preach in but I've just felt burdened, I believe, by the Holy Spirit all week to make this statement to this room. This might, might be true of all of you. This might only be true of some of you in this room, but I just believe the Holy Spirit of God has this for someone tonight. I believe when it comes to your faith that for some of you, perhaps many of you, the next level of your faith comes through giving. The next level of your faith comes through giving See, I wanna to talk to you about giving tonight. I wanna to talk to you about your money tonight. I wanna to talk to you about what it means for you to be generous tonight, but I wanna be abundantly clear from the top. This is not because Calvary is short on change, okay? Well, we're not struggling, so we're coming to you. That This is not a fundraiser. We're not gonna pass around a hat. You're not gonna see me at the chili cook-off and be like, you know, like, that's not what's gonna happen. That's not what tonight is. In fact, tonight, I am not concerned about the budget of Calvary Community Church. God has provided graciously. I am concerned about your heart, your faith, and your soul. That's what I'm here to talk about tonight. And I'm so convicted that for some of you in this room, you've hit this ceiling in your faith where you feel like you can't get to the next level and you're praying and you're reading your Bible and you're showing up at church and you're in small group, but it just feels like you're stuck. And if that's you tonight, You just keep feeling like you're just not getting to that place of intimacy and faith and courage with God. Perhaps, perhaps the next level of your faith comes through giving. I wanna reflect on that tonight. I wanna think on that with you. Again, my burden tonight is not to be a fundraiser. It's to be a pastor of your heart so you would understand what it means to follow Jesus, not just with some of your life, but with all of it. Like again, I'll be bold here and say this. I'm concerned that for some of you, Jesus gets every single part of your life except your wallet. And you've laid down every part of your life and surrendered to Christ except your money. And if you do that, in any area of your life, you say, Jesus, you get all of me except this part. You will always hit a ceiling. You will never make it to that next level of faith. And that's what I want to call you toward tonight. So we're going to talk tonight about money. We're going to talk tonight about giving. We're going to talk tonight about generosity. And here's a statement I made before, and I want to make it again because I want to be so clear on what I'm saying. Listen, giving is about more than money, but not less than money. It's about more than money. People talk about giving your time, your your service, the amount of time you serve people in this church. Your talents, like your gifts and your abilities, serving and investing in other people. They talk about time and talent and treasure. Can I tell you what happens all the time in church world? We're like, yeah, giving is time and talent and treasure. And you're like, okay, well, if I got two out of three, I'm doing pretty good, right? Like I'll give the time thing and the talent thing, but I don't wanna give my money. Like I shared this a couple weeks ago that when I was in high school, I was starting to get burdened by the fact that like I had a job and I had an income and yet I was giving away none of my money to the church, none of my money to the poor, none of the money to global missions. I was keeping all of it and spending all of it on me. And so I remember I was sitting at a Starbucks doing a Bible study with a very good friend of mine who loved Jesus. And I shared this burden I had that I felt like I was called to start giving away money because I wasn't being generous. And here's what he said to me. He was trying to be so kind. He said, Brian, I just feel like you give so much of your time to the church. You serve with your gifts and your abilities. And that was true. I was all in with my church in high school. He goes, I just think for you, like don't stress about the treasure part. Don't stress about the money part. You're giving in so many other ways. And oh my goodness, that friend meant so well by that. But that led me down a damaging road where I spent years of my life thinking all of my money belonged to me. I didn't have to give it away because I was serving it in other ways. And it was a nice lie that comforted me enough but deceived me deeply into thinking my money had no bearing on how far I got in faith with Jesus. Tonight, I think it's important that you think about your time and how you're spending it, your talents and how you're using them. But tonight I want you to know giving is about more than money, but it's never less than money. See, when I talk about giving, I understand that you all come out of different backgrounds. Some of you grew up here at this church and others of you went from different churches and maybe some of you even come out of church backgrounds where you felt burned by giving. Maybe your parents felt burned by giving. Maybe you came out of a church that felt manipulative or abusive or coercive when it came to giving. Maybe you came out of a church and these churches exist where they're like, let's see your tax returns so we can make sure you're giving enough. So There's just like all sorts of different assumptions when a pastor talks about giving. And for some of you, you would actually prefer that I don't talk about giving at all, that I don't talk about money. And I get that. Because so many pastors talk about giving and talk about money, and then they're they're like driving like really nice cars and flying private jets and wearing sneakers I could never afford, okay? Like that's what they're doing. And so there's this like tension. But here's what I'm convinced of. A pastor who never talks about money would be like a physical trainer who never talks about your diet. Like a physical trainer who's like, hey, you gotta work out, and you gotta buy buy these cool clothes and these great shoes, and here's your program and who's all that, but never talked about the food you were putting in your body would always be working uphill, why? Because here's what all of us intuitively get. You can hire a trainer to work out seven days a week, but if you're not monitoring what you're eating, you're never gonna get in good shape. And here's the truth with money. It's uncomfortable to talk about. Like this isn't like, I love talking about this. I I just know if you don't start to think spiritually about your money, you will never reach the level you want to spiritually. Like you will never get there if you don't think deeply about your money. And so maybe you think churches and pastors should never talk about money. I'm convinced that churches and pastors have to talk about money because it is, according to Jesus, the greatest competitor for your heart to God. It is the thing that is vying for your heart in competition with God, and you only get to pick one to be your master. So let me give you some ground rules when I think about money, when I talk about money here in the church. Um, Three things. Here's number one. Um, We do not want guilt to be the reason for your giving. The Bible is extraordinarily clear that you are called to be a cheerful giver The guilt and coercion and like me getting up here being like, you have $10, give me one of them. And you're like, no, I don't want to. And then I'm like, if you don't, you're the worst. And you're like, I guess I'm the worst. So you feel terrible. And then you give a dollar to the church. Like, I just don't want that. Let me just be extraordinarily clear. If you think tonight, if you leave tonight feeling guilty and that guilt drives you to want to give money to this church, please don't. We just don't want that guilt money. Like, that's not what anyone at this church or anyone at any church is after. We're not interested in your guilt. We're not interested in you feeling bad about how much you give or don't give. That is not the point. Guilt is never a driver. It is never something that sustains. God is not after your guilt. Let me remind you of the gospel. There is no more guilt on your head. It was put on the cross, amen? So there's no more guilt. Like, our desire is not to guilt you into giving money tonight. That's not what we're doing. In fact, my desire isn't even that you would give money before you leave tonight. It's that you would think and pray on this and consider deeply what God has for you. So that's number one. We're just not interested in the guilt game here. We're not interested in you feeling bad and like, I guess I should do something. Not our game here. Number two, um, our desire is to make disciples, not donors. Okay? Like, I'm not interested in you being a donor to this church. What does a donor do? A donor writes a really big check, hands it over and watches other people do the work. That's not how we operate here. It's not who we are. God is not interested in you being a donor. He's interested in you being a disciple of Jesus. Like we are far less interested in your giving statement and we are far more interested in your soul. That's what we're interested in here. So again, our goal is not to just get people to write big checks or give a lot of money. The answer is our goal is for you to understand how deeply money is intertwined with your discipleship. And until you get that, until you get that your money and how you spend your money and give your money and save your money and invest your money and think about your money, until you get that that's all wrapped up in your discipleship, it will always be a blind spot that keeps you from getting to the next level. That's what I'm interested in. Not creating donors. I'm interested in creating disciples of Jesus Christ. That's our mission and that's our mandate. And then final statement is this one. Listen, if you think churches should never talk about giving, then it's possible that money has become your idol. If you think churches should never talk about giving, never talk about generosity, never talk about money, number one, you, you got you to read the book, okay? It's like it's in there a lot. But, but number two is like, if you're offended at even the thought of a pastor talking about money, it's probably got this idle grip in your life. Now, now here's the weasel word, right? It's possible. Maybe you've been burned by a church. Maybe you've been wounded over money. Maybe it's hard for you to even think about giving money to a church because you've been wounded so deeply. So I just want to say anyone who reacts to this it's because money is your God. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just trying to say we live in the richest civilization in the history of the world. And we would all be fools not to think that money has a tighter grip over our lives than it has in other places. I want us to be aware of that. I want us to think about it. If you get defensive, anytime someone talks about money from a spiritual perspective, it might have become your God because that's what Jesus assumes will happen. He says, you cannot serve God and money. You have to pick one. So what are we trying to do tonight? I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm not trying to stir you up. I'm not going to pass a hat or a basket or a plate. I'm not trying to gin up money from this because the church is short on money. I'm trying to get you to answer one simple question. And here's the question tonight. Is God pleased with the way I give? That's the question I have for you. Not, is Brian Howard pleased? That question doesn't matter. Not, is Calvary Community Church pleased? Not, um, are my parents pleased? or, or, Or what do I think I should be? That's not the question. The question is, is the God of the universe pleased with how I handle my money, how I give away my money, how I'm generous with my money? Is God pleased with that? And listen to me. Some of you, the answer is yes. I just wanna give that freedom in this room. I just think there's some of you, and it's not because you're stroking like million dollar checks. Some of you are giving, just like the widow in this story, Jesus comes up to this widow, just gives all that she has, and it's this tiny little bit, and God goes, that, that's it right there. So again, for some of you, I think the answer is yes, God is so deeply pleased with you. But for some of you, maybe others of you, maybe even most of you, you've never even wrestled with this question. Like you wrestle with the question, is God pleased with my prayer life? How's my prayer life? And how much am I reading the Bible? And how much am I avoiding the bad sins that I'm not supposed to do? And how often am I going to church? You've wrestled with those questions. I just wanna add a new question for you to wrestle with. Is God pleased with the way I'm handling my money? Is God pleased with the way I'm giving? Now we wanna answer questions about what God is pleased or not pleased with with a very specific way. We don't wanna just like subjectively feel that what we're doing is right or wrong. We want to look toward the Bible. The Bible is our authority. The Bible is where we look to. The Bible is the thing we look to and say that is what says whether God is pleased or not. So I want to just give you four biblical principles. This isn't everything the Bible says about money. I just think there's four biblical principles to help you answer this question on whether God is pleased with your giving. Four ways that we're called to give in the Bible. Number 1, we're called to give regularly. 1 Corinthians 16 talks about it, the first day of the week set aside a portion. Now you could do it weekly, you could do it monthly, But I want to say this, biblically, we're called to give regularly. So, so a lot of people do um, giving at the church this way. They kind of do like tip giving. So what they do is like, if the pastor's sermon was really good, they're like, hey, here's a 20. That was real nice, right? But, but then if the pastor's sermon was like, okay, they're like, hmm, that's, that's a $2 day, right? And then if the pastor's sermon was real bad, they take money out of <laughs> Just kidding, don't do that. Um, but, but, but listen, like a lot of people just like randomly throw it in or they're just driven by guilt occasionally. So they're like, ah, I'm giving it a while. Here's five bucks. You know, like they just kind of do that. That's not the way you're called to give. You're called to give in such a way that it's a regular pattern in your life in the same way you're called to pray. Like prayer is supposed to be regular, right? It's not supposed to be like, yeah, two times a year you should pray, right? No, it's like, I just want that to be like a part of the fabric of my life and the same with giving. I wanna just be part of my routine. And we live in like the best age ever to do that where like tonight, before you leave the service, if you wanted, on your phone, you go on the Calvary website, set up an automatic thing on your credit card to hit every week or every month where it just goes, like you just make it regular. It's a part of your worship. It's a part of your life. We're called to give regularly. Number two, we're called to give proportionally, proportionally. In the Old Testament, the proportional giving was something called a tithe. Tithing doesn't mean giving. Tithing is a word that literally means one-tenth. A tenth is what the tithe means. So the tithe, the idea was whatever you make, whatever your income is, you give 10% of it away. So if you make $10,000 a year, you give away $1,000. If you make $100,000 a year, you give away ten. dollars Thousand dollars. That's the idea of the tithe. So it's proportional. The idea isn't everyone here is supposed to give a hundred bucks. Some of you are tithing like you don't make anything. So you're like tithing off like money you find on the street, okay? And others of you, you make a significant amount of money. And the idea is we all give proportionally. Now I believe in the New Testament that the idea of the tithe of that 10% isn't like a hard law that we live by. It's gotta be 10% or God's not pleased with you. But I believe that's the training wheels for how we start to understand what God wants out of my life. And we'll talk about kind of how to start thinking about giving if you're not giving at all. But I just think a tithe is something to aim for. That 10% isn't a rule. It's not a law. Your heavenly father is crazy about you. But we are called to give proportionally. And listen, there are people at this church who give hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to this church because God has blessed them in mega ways and they give proportionally. And there are people at this church who give $10 a year the ministry of this church because God hasn't given them as much, but if they are being faithful, they are giving as big of a gift as the people who are giving hundreds of thousands of dollars. Why? Because the goal biblically is not how much you give away. It's proportional giving to what God has blessed you with. So number one, we give regularly. Number two, we give proportionally. So listen, you're probably not going to give as much or uh, not as much as the person next to you. And that's okay. That's not the goal. It's not a competition. Number three, that we're called to give sacrificially. Like we're called to give in such a way that it actually sacrifices something in our life. And so what I wanna do is I wanna give in such a way that when I'm online on the giving portal, or whatever the thing is I'm giving toward, I'm like about to click it and I actually want there to be a thing in my heart like, oh, that's a lot, okay. You know, like I want that to be a thing in my life because I wanna actually give in such a way that actually it means faith in my life. Because for me to just give something that's easy, a no-brainer for me, no problems at all, man, I feel like that's like a perfunctory thing I can do. But when I risk, when I step out and say, God, I'm going to give in such a way that it actually hurts. That's what faith actually looks like. Like faith is not us giving when it's easy. It's giving sacrificially and watching what God does. Because here's what you'll find when you start giving sacrificially. You'll realize you never actually made the sacrifice. Because when you give, God gives so much more. And listen to me, this is not some kind of prosperity. Like give the church $10 and you'll find a hundred on the way out. That's not how it works. That's not it at all. But what I've found is the more money I give away, the more I give away, the more our family gives away, the less greed and materialism has a grip on my life. And I can't even begin to describe how freeing that is. I want to invite you into that tonight. Again, we give regularly. We give proportionally, sacrificially. And then finally, most importantly, we give cheerfully. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. Do you know that there's nothing more fun that you can do with money than give it away? It's the most fun you'll ever have. You think buying new shoes is cool? Try giving money to someone who's starving and needs a meal. Try giving money away in such a way that you know that money is being used to bless and serve people and advance the gospel and build the church and send missionaries into the world and feed the hungry. Try doing that and watch what happens. See, what do we want to be? We want to be these cheerful givers who give not because we have to or we must, but the biblical principle is when I give, God is blessed and God is pleased with it when it's something I want to do out of joy rather than something I choose to do out of guilt. So this is the biblical principle on giving. How, how do we know if God's pleased with our giving? We look to the Bible. Are we giving regularly and proportionally and sacrificially and cheerfully? And then here's what I know. I just know there's a lot of you in this room where like giving just hasn't been part of your story. Again, there's some of you who give regularly. And I, by the way, I never know what anyone gives to this church. There are people who keep track of that and know what that is. And there's like a firewall where they, just, they don't tell me what's going on. They don't tell me who of you gives. And I want to keep it that way. Because again, my goal isn't to figure out like how much you can give. My goal is your heart, your soul here. And so again, I don't know the data on this room. I just imagine there are some of you who are going, listen, I don't really give regularly. I don't give proportionally. It doesn't feel sacrificial. And maybe it doesn't feel cheerful to me. And so here's what I want to close with, some real practical stuff. I want to give you three uh, of these four things. Um, I want to give you three lies you tell yourself, three questions I want you to ask yourself, three prayers to pray, and three next steps to take. So let's jump in. We'll go through these quickly. Three lies you tell yourself. Here's the first lie, and I hear this one all the time. It's that I can't afford to give. I can't afford to give. It's like, Brian, I'd love to give, but I'm actually kind of broke, or I'm in college, or I'm in between jobs. I can't afford to give. And we love to suggest that this is true, but here's what we all know like us beginning to give regularly to the church isn't the thing that's going to make us broke. Like I think all the time about the 10% thing. Um early on in COVID when things were just like so wild, a lot of you either lost your job or took a pay cut and here at the church we all took a 10% cut on our salary. And that was just a thing we took so that we would know that the church would be viable through COVID. We didn't know it was going to happen. And I thought about that a lot. Because so often I'm like, well, if I gave more, how would I live? How would I feed my children? I bring my children into it, which is great. You can make any excuse with money when you have children. You're like, it's my, I kind of no, whatever. Um, so, but here's my point. My, my point is I thought, oh gosh, I need this money to feed my kids. But the truth is I got a 10% pay cut and I still fed my kids. So this idea that I can't afford to give. And if I gave, I would be broke. Listen, no one ever goes broke by giving. No, no one ever gives money away. And then they're just like, oh, what am I going to do? I can't afford it as a lie. I tell myself, here's the second one. And this is the one we love here in this room. Um, I'll start giving when I'm older and richer because someday I'm going to make it. Someday my, my career is going to skyrocket. My, my salary is actually going to have some zeros at the end of it. And when I'm rich, then I'll start giving. And here's what I think we all know. I think we all know that's not true. Here's the reason I know that's not true. I think some of you are kind of like in college or just out of college and you're working a job and you're not feeling super rich right now. But here's what I'm going to guess I'm going to guess you make more money than you did when you were 15 years old, right? And yet you are not probably thinking, okay, now I'm rich. But the amount of money I made when I was 24 versus when I was 14 is so much more. And yet I bought into the sly. I'll start giving when I'm older. It's not true. If you don't start giving when you have little money, you won't give when you have much more to give away. Beware that lie in your heart. Number three is I don't need to give because someone else will. You know why this is such a pernicious lie? Because it's half true. Do you know that people at this church just give millions of dollars a year for this church to exist, for our staff to be here, for this room to exist, for these ministries to exist? People give and give and give and give and it's beautiful. But here's the problem. If you think giving to the church is primarily about funding the ministries of the church, you have missed it. You've bought into the idea that the principal reason churches take money is so we can run things. The principal reason that churches have to, like, you should give is because you need to fund it. And listen, I just want to say over and over and over again, like, our goal is not as a church to be like, we're running out of money, and then I raise my hand in a senior leadership meeting, and go, I know the perfect crowd to go get all the money out of, Right? Like, this is not the room. I'm like, they can't afford Taco Bell, right? Like, 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 I get, so like again, the, the, the issue here is like, yeah, other people are going to. But you know who's going to suffer most if you don't ever give away your money? It's not this church. It's you. It's your soul. It's your heart. It's your devotion to Jesus. If you say, all my money is mine and no one gets to talk about it. Man, God's going to provide for this church because it's his, and he promised he would always do that. But it's our hearts who suffer. Beware of these lies that we tell ourselves. Here's three questions to ask yourself. Uh, And again, I asked that question earlier, is God pleased with my giving? I wanna give you three more. Number one, um, do I trust the leadership of my church? I I think for some of you, the reason you don't give um, is because somewhere along the way, you started to be suspicious of religious leaders or church leaders. Maybe you're suspicious of me or, or Brian Williams or Sarah or our elders or our senior pastor or our leadership here. And here's what I wanna say, two things. If the reason you can't give to this church, well, I'll say this. Some of you come on Thursday nights, but you have another church that's your home church. Praise God for that. We want you to give to your home church, okay? We want you to go to the other church that you call your home church, that that is where you are planting. We want you to give there. But if you feel like you are part of this church and you cannot give to this church because you're suspicious, you don't have trust, you're not sure if you buy in or you trust the leadership of this church, I wanna give you two invitations. Invitation number one, come talk to me. Come share your concern. Come vent the reason you don't trust or don't trust us with your money or don't trust what goes on here. I would love to either see if we can answer that concern or at the very least just hear it so we can pass it along. And number two is this. If there is no way in your heart and soul that you would ever trust the leadership of this church enough to give to this church, I wanna beg and plead with you that you would find a different church that you can trust and believe in. But like if I am the person or someone at this church is the reason that is standing in between you being generous or not, As much as I want you here and I want you here, I want you to be part of this. I just do not want that to be the reason you don't get to be generous in this world. Find a different church, give to that church. Again, this is not a fundraising pitch for Calvary. If you end up in another church and you're giving generously and leaning in there, praise the Lord, this is about your soul. Number two, second question to ask yourself. um, What's the worst thing that could happen if I started giving regularly in my church? Like what's, if you just decide I'm gonna start giving regularly, what's the worst that could happen? You'll be out some money, and then if you hate it and you feel like this whole freedom from greed and materialism is the worst thing ever, you can go back to that real easy. You can. Like, what's the worst that can happen? Sometimes we want to ask these questions of faith. Like, if I actually step out and start giving, what's the worst that could happen? And again, that could be at this church, it could be another church, but I want to encourage you to ask that question. And then finally, I love the, I love and hate this question. Um, what have I spent my money on in 2021? <laughs> It's December and it's kind of like time to do an audit on your life Okay, whatever money you had or made or received or spent in this last year Go do an audit of it And, And again, if I look back on my last year Like my family and I will have to admit We probably spent too much money on our home And too much money on tacos, okay That's the two things and then the things I'm really looking back and I go, I'm so grateful for is that my family did give away more money in 21 than 2020. And so I look at that and just start to go, okay, how can I look at the money in this last year and actually recognize what happened? Because for some of you, you go, well, I can never afford to give, but then you look back on your, like, your annual statement and go like, oh my word, I am single-handedly keeping Chick-fil-A and Thousand Oaks open, you know? Like, and, and that doesn't count as giving just because it's Christian chicken, right? And so anyway, We wanna look back over this last year and say, okay, what did I spend my money on? So that's three questions to ask. Here's three prayers to pray. Number one, I love this prayer out of Psalm 67. God bless me so I can be a blessing. God bless me with a job, with a promotion, with a raise, with an inheritance. God bless me financially so that I can be a blessing. I dare you to pray that prayer. I dare you to go read Psalm 67, memorize it and pray it every day. God, bless me, give to me, give me a promotion, give me a raise, give me a windfall, give me an inheritance, give me money, God, because when I get it, I wanna be a blessing to the world. Go see what God does with that. And again, this is not, if you ask God for money, he'll give it to you, but it is this posture that says, God, whatever you bring down into my life, I'm gonna allow it to flow through me like a river into the world to be a blessing. Pray that prayer, Psalm 67, see what God does. I love that prayer. Number two, um, God, show me how much I should give. Uh, Again, I'm not up here to tell you how much you should give. I'm here to say, I want you to go wrestle with God and ask the question, is God pleased with how much I give? That's the prayer I want you to ask God. Um, Right now, I'm not giving, or God, right now I'm giving this much. Are you pleased with that? And maybe his answer, maybe he'll just have this piece of, yes, he's pleased with that and praise God for it. The goal isn't just like every time you pray, you feel guilty and you have to give more. Maybe God is pleased with it. But some of you haven't actually asked the question. And then finally, here's this final one. Um, God, help me not to be gripped by greed. Um, When Jesus talks about greed, like the grip money has in our life, he always talks about it as a deceiver, something that sneaks in. You have to be on your guard for it. The assumption Jesus makes is that if we're not watching out for it, we will become deceived by money. And I wanna pray often, God, help me not to be deceived. Um, Help me not to be twisted up in money without even being aware of it. God, help me to be free of the slavery that I don't wanna be in toward the money and the riches and the possessions of this world. And then finally, final one we'll look at, three steps I want you to take. Here's three really practical steps. Um, Let me speak to you if you don't give anything to any church anywhere at all. Here's your first step. Start giving $1 a week to your church. One dollar. Um, again, if your church is another church, praise God, go do it there. If your church is Calvary Community Church, I want you to do it here. Um, if you're one of those people that bounce around to like six different churches, you're like, I like the worship here, but I like the preaching over there, and I like the small groups over there, and I just like the lobby over there. Like you just go to like 12 churches, pick a church, like find a home, pick a family, invest in it, and start giving something. If one dollar seems comically low, fine, make it 10. But, but here's why I say One dollar. Because if you give a dollar away a week, it'll be $52 in a year. And I don't know how much you make, and I don't know what's going on in your life. I'm just certain $52 is not going to put you out on the street. And you start to build that muscle where you say, I'm going to start giving away. Again, you can make it an automatic thing that hits your card every single month or every single week. You can make this a regular thing. And what you start to do is you start to get yourself in the rhythm and the pattern of being generous. And maybe next year you bump that up to $2. You just continue to go and you start to think, how can I start to be a more and more generous person? If you're not giving anything at all, I do not want you to feel guilty and start throwing in money randomly. I want you to create a plan. And if this might be the simplest plan I can think of, here's number two. I want you to make a plan to give away more money in 2022 than you did this year. Make that a goal in your life. I've shared before, I'll share again. My family has made a decision that we are gonna give away more dollars every year for the rest of our lives. That's what we're going to do. We did it in 2022. We did it in 2021. We did it in 2020. We're going to give away more dollars. And if God blesses us like crazy, we'll make it a lot more. And if we're just getting by because we got a third baby on the way, we'll give away a little bit more. But that's our goal. We're going to try to do that because we want to become more and more and more generous until we step into the presence of Jesus. And I want to challenge you to do the same. Just look back on your ear. How much money did I give away? Beat that by $1 in 2022. Next one, uh, final one, final action is ask someone to hold you accountable on your giving. Um, some of you have accountability partners on a sin issue you're dealing with. Some of you have accountability partners on reading your Bible or, or praying or showing up at group. But I want to challenge you to have an accountability partner. Just look at someone in your life and say, I want to give you permission to challenge me on the giving thing. Maybe you're even sitting next to them right now and you just nudge them. You're like, that's you, right? Like just give them permission to say, are you giving? Are you actually being generous? Are you actually doing anything with your money? Most of us don't let anyone into our financial world, but you will not act like most of us. We are not like most people. We are called out people, a different people, a holy people set apart for the Lord. And so what do we wanna do? We wanna ask people into our lives, even in uncomfortable situations, to push us toward generosity. Because here's what you need to get as we close out tonight, that we are never more like Jesus than when we are giving. We are never more like Jesus than when we are giving because what does Jesus do? He gives, he serves, he leaves the comforts of heaven to step into a manger that first Christmas. And that first Christmas, he steps out of the glories of heaven, humiliates himself into human flesh, lives a life where he has suffered, where he is in pain, where he is mocked and belittled, where he is crucified and killed for our sins and for our salvation. Jesus lived the life of giving. And if we want to live in love like Jesus, we will never be more like Jesus than when we're giving. So this is the invitation for us. Our band will make their way up right now. And we'll close uh, here with one final song. Uh, And as we do, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the other day, um, my wife and I drove our kids through uh, one of our favorite restaurants, um, and that favorite restaurant is right around the corner from our house. We're very uh, kind of upper-class people here, and we were at McDonald's, okay? Um, And and some of you are judging me as if no one eats at McDonald's, but we all know McDonald's is, if we can just agree on this, McDonald's fries are tops in the world, okay? Amen. (laughs) Amen. And the people of God said amen. So so there's fries like flowing through our car and um, we give my daughter some of the fries. And uh, as a dad, you know, one of the rules that's built into the fabric of the universe is there's something called a dad tax, right? Um, right? And so um, what I did was I turned around in the car and I took some of my daughter's fries and the look on her face of like shock and horror was like something to behold as a father. And she said to me these words and, and you'll expect what she said. She goes, daddy, those are my fries. I'm going, your fries? Did you pay for these fries? Did you drive this car up to this window and pay for those fries? Of course you did not. Your fries, your fries. See, here's the crazy thing. She goes, daddy, those are my fries. You know what's wild? I bought the fries. It was my idea to give her the fries. If I wanted to, I could took the whole thing away and there's nothing she could do because she's four. If I wanted to, I could buy a truckload of fries. I have a hundred orders of fries for my daughter, right? Like I am in complete control of the fry supply in her life. And so when I take one fry, it's not because I can't get fries. I eat lots of fries. I could order an extra thing of fries. It's not because I need the fries. Why am I taking out of my daughter's fries? Because I want her to learn what it means to be generous. I want her to learn what it means to not just do the default human thing where everything in my hands is mine and I shall never share it, but rather live her life like this. To say it's mine for now, but you know what? I didn't buy it. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I'm going to keep my hands open. Your heavenly father wants the same thing for you. God doesn't need your money. He owns a cattle on a thousand hill. God owns more money than you could possibly dream of. What God wants is for you to become the type of individual like his son, Jesus, who is defined and marked by generosity and giving. What God wants you to do is open up your hands and not say, what God, it's my money, but rather to say, God, you gave me the money, so anything you want is yours. And that's what I wanna call you toward. Again, I don't have a specific ask. I'm not gonna pass a plate tonight. We're not doing something to try to generate some funds out of this room tonight. I want you to go wrestle before the Lord and wrestle with that question we asked in the very beginning. Is God pleased with my giving? Because when you watch what happens, just watch what happens when you open up your hands and say, God, everything that belongs to me is actually yours. And I'm willing to give sacrificially, generously, regularly, and cheerfully in such a way that it pleases you. And watch what happens when God takes you through your giving to the next level of faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for tonight. And thank you for the opportunity to open your word once again. God, I just pray for anyone in this room who's walking through some kind of guilt or shame right now. I just pray you would remove that through the power of your spirit. God, I declare that there's no guilt or shame in this room through the power of your blood. I ask tonight that if there is Holy Spirit conviction that no one would ignore that, that no one would quench the spirit tonight, that no one would harden their hearts against what your spirit's doing. I ask that not just for everyone else here, but for me as well. God, may you continue to grow me as a generous man, as a generous family. God, may I give away, may not hold on to everything and call it my own, but rather continually, regularly, cheerfully give. God, help us to get to the next level of faith. And God, maybe then that would be through our giving. God, I pray that we would be a generation at this church who sacrificially gives in such a way that honors you and frees our soul. We pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.